Welcome to Savage Minds. I'm your host, Julian Vigo. Today's guest is Brandon Showalter. Brandon Mark Showalter is a journalist and podcaster with the Christian Post who has reported extensively on the developments of the gender identity movement and transgender ideology. He earned a bachelor's degree in international studies and Spanish from Bridgewater College of Virginia in 2007 a master's degree in the Interdisciplinary Human Rights Program from the Catholic University of America in 2022, and he is a fellow of the John Jay Institute for Faith, Society, and Law. Brandon is also the host of the Christian Post's award-winning investigative podcast series, Generation Indoctrination, Inside the Transgender Battle the co-author of the 2023 ebook Exposing the Gender Lie, How to Protect Children and Teens from the Transgender Industry's False Ideology, and he has been featured in several documentaries, including the Tucker Carlson Originals film Transgressive, The Cult of Confusion on Fox Nation, and Dead Name by Broken Hearted Films. I welcome Brandon Showalter to Savage Minds. I'm most excited to speak to you both because of your work that I've read over the years on this subject of gender ideology and its hold in our society, but also your recent book. You co-authored Exposing the Gender Lie ebook with Jeff Myers. What's interesting about this book is that you are coming from different from a lot of the guests I have on the show who are feminists or radical feminists, even people working within human rights, specifically from a specific legal medical perspective, you were coming at this from a very different perspective. Could you explain to our audience what brought you and Jeff Myers to co-author this book? Well, we we did. Uh, I collaborated with Jeff because he is, uh, he leads, he's the president of Summit Ministries out in Colorado. And we, for several reasons, we wanted to address the topic of gender ideology, uh, namely because it is a medical scandal. And I would imagine that there are things that we write in the book, in fact, I know it to be true, that do overlap with radical feminist viewpoints. There are There is some shared common ground that is very meaningful. In fact, we quote Julia Long, a British lesbian feminist academic, um, despite you know disagreements with, with feminist ideology, there is remarkable overlap. We quote and we quote evolutionary biologists in the book. Like we're we are Christians who are writing this, but we are trying to to say that the truth is true, no matter who says it. If it lines up with reality, then we want to be champions of that, no matter who says it. But Jeff works to form the next generation of you know Christian students who are going into their various professions and. Me as a journalist at the Christian Post here in Washington, D.C., it's been a major issue that I've covered, uh, not only, again, because of the medical scandal that this is and the affront to women's rights, but also this is just an assault on epistemology. This is an assault on truth, on how we know what we know. Gender ideology is, as evolutionary biologist Colin Wright says, reality's last stand. If we, if we fail to recognize the material reality of sex, we will be hostages to chaos. I've never heard it put better than he did, than he has put it. Um, and for Christians, that's a big issue for us. Uh, we believe that the, the truth is a necessary part of life. We, you know, Jesus said in the Gospel of John that you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. And the word for truth there in the original language is close to reality. You will know reality. 
and reality will set you free. And so that's a big deal for us as Christians, but we just see this um, from many angles and not least of which is that this is one of the most atrocious medical scandals that the world has ever seen. And we felt it important for us to do a joint ebook to address that. That's the long short of it. A lot of our listeners have happily for me, because I expected more pushback. You're not the first Christian guest I've had on the show. And I have had others. And I expected more pushback, to be honest, because as you are well aware, one of the slurs, and I'll put that in air quotes, being used on our lovely social media to denigrate a lot of these leftist feminists or radical feminists or lesbian feminists is to call them right-wing Christians. Yeah. Now, yeah. before we started the show, I joked with you how I was taking coffee because it's 5 a.m. here and it's 11 a.m. where you are and you are taking white wine and I taunted you <laughs> about how you're a Christian. Now, a lot of the people making these claims are frankly idiots because when you do scratch the surface of religious do's and don'ts, of course that changes. You're not a Southern Baptist, for instance. At the end of the day, these kinds of slurs end up trying to divide people who have a lot of common ground. Right. Even people who, as you're well aware, there might be a thousand times more difference between you and another person within your faith, but because they are Pentecostal and their daughters don't wear makeup mm -hmm. or pants. Let's, I'm just giving examples. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, you and I might have a thousand times more things in common. Right. This idea of slurring someone as being religious right. and far right, as if being religious is far right. That's another ridiculous accusation because I have personally worked with liberation theologians. I did my master's thesis on liberation theology in Nicaragua, which led me to understand this incredible wealth of teamwork that happens between Marxists and Catholic priests and Catholic people. And it's quite fascinating to see that this name, this slur right wing is thrown out because there's nothing right wing to that. It was extremely left wing. It was in the sense of people, including the priests themselves from Vatican II, were pushing back and saying, no, we're not going to wait, as it states here in Exodus, to die and go to heaven. We're making heaven on earth and we're making heaven on earth here. And we're going to fight the Samosa dictatorship. We're going to fight for our human rights. And there's so many differences. So when I always hear a oh, right wing Christian, I sort of crack up because I'm thinking, well, these people don't even know what Christianity is because within Christianity itself, it's it's vaster than the gender umbrella. You know, yeah. sorry, I made a joke. <laughs> no, I I hear you. And it Full disclosure, Julian, I would be more on the conservative leaning side of things. And the Christian Post mm -hmm. is known for being, you know, a philosophically, socially conservative publication. Mm -hmm. But we do welcome a broad range of voices, even within that. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, nor am I a Marxist or a Catholic. But right. I, I recognize that, especially when you consider what Christians are across the whole world, it's a lot, it's a lot broader than the, the caricature of what um what, what some would say uh, a Christian is or a conservative Christian is there there is there is a variety and uh I'm, I'm certainly not going to put myself in the place of God and judge a person's heart or their salvation on one one thing one way or the other uh but it is a, what's unfortunate though is that I, I I've seen the, the dynamic that you that you mentioned there 
that anybody who objects to the incursion of gender ideology in every sphere of society is immediately labeled a right-wing Christian. No, no questions asked. Even you can be a very far left radical feminist and they're, you know, associated with these oogity boogity right-wing Christians or whatever. <laughs> and so it is lazy and it's not right. And, um, you know, frankly, my perspective has been even again, as a conservative leaning Christian, that we need all hands on deck in order to respond to the crisis of the moment because of the threat that gender ideology is to human rights, the threat that it is to the health and welfare of children with this unethical medical experimentation that's being perpetrated on on their bodies and on and, on, and their minds, um, and just the fact that it's just not true. Uh, it's so I will I will speak from my perch at the Christian Post as a journalist and as a Christian with anyone and everyone who is willing to talk regardless of their politics, regardless of their religious beliefs. Uh, my ears are open. Our ears are open. <laughs> Let's have a conversation because I know I've learned a lot from people with whom I've interacted over this issue. And I just think the hour demands that we all talk to each other and be civil, uh, regardless of our differences. I completely agree. In fact, this is the opinion of more and more men and women who join this struggle. And in the early days, it was mostly women. And you mm -hmm. mentioned Julia Long. Julia was the first person I interviewed for my first article on this piece. Wow. Yeah. And when I met up with her in a cafe really quite near to my house in central London, 2012 spring, she was not only lovely with me, but at one point she just caught me and she said, why are you calling these men she? Because I, I was actually doing that while I was interviewing wow. her. Yeah. And I said, uh, good question. I realize this is completely nonsense, but we are being socially conscripted. Right. Even myself, as I'm writing this piece and talking to you, it's, isn't it amazing how far the capture is? Yeah. And in your book, you document this quite well. And you discuss, in fact, what kind of medical scandal has been unraveled before all of the English-speaking world in Western society. Yeah. It is now skipping linguistic borders, and right. we're seeing more and more countries, to include France, where I've covered this, where lesbians in Bordeaux were attacked two summers ago, yeah. where lesbians in various gay prides are shown the door. Hold on, you're not trans-inclusive because you're saying as an organization that calls itself LGBT alphabet soup plus whatever, that you recognize lesbian, gay, bisexual, but then suddenly within their own moniker, they're accusing the very people they claim to represent of being phobic towards another one of the letters under that alphabet right. because they are who they say they are. Like none of it makes sense from a purely philosophy 101 point of view. Can you describe in your book how you in fact address this very interesting issue of where trans ideology twists language this is one of your chapters to distort reality because this is fascinating to me how you approach this right well you, I, I i think i my memory serves it's <laughs> we published this book in march and i believe that chapter begins with a quote from none other than julia long and the quote that i feature was something that she said last year last fall 
at Kelly J. Keene's uh, Let Women Speak rally in Bristol, and Julia Long said at the microphone, the word trans has one function, and that is to falsify reality. As soon as you have a word that can institute the lie that a man is a woman, everything is reversed. And so <laughs> we titled our book Exposing the Gender Lie because it is just that. That's the toxic root that is at everything. At its core, what we might, what we have come to know as gender identity, always put that in air quotes, is at base a lie. And because it's a lie, it can only bring ruinous destruction. Uh, it's especially disastrous when you start writing laws with lies. If you enshrine quote unquote gender identity as a category of personhood, you certainly under, undermine sex as a category and women suffer disproportionately uh, in that. And that just has ramifications for every area. You mentioned prisons and sports, but the key thing to understand, um, and it, it does take a while because of how it has been uh, you know, marketed and presented throughout much of the corporate press is it's language manipulation. And people, before they can kind of understand the issue, they, they wrestle and they try to get their mind around it when they don't realize just how much they are being played and, and manipulated. It, it's gaslighting. It makes you doubt your own perception of reality. Uh, I, I think perhaps the best way to express it here, and we do so in the book, is even the confusion over the words sex and gender. Up until, you know, in the 1960s, Dr. Quentin Van Meter, who's a pediatric endocrinologist, has explained this to me. He's one of the endocrinologists who's been on the front lines resisting this medical scandal. He says, he says that gender, back in the 60s, was a linguistic kind of word. It didn't have a, any kind of medical connotation. It was, And to this day, you'll still hear people use sex and gender interchangeably. But what gender ideologues have done is build an entire theoretical edifice around this concept of gender that has morphed and modulated through the years. And many people just aren't cognizant of that. And so they still use sex and gender thinking that they mean the same thing. And so the advice that I give to people is never, ever, 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 ever say gender when what you really mean is sex, because sex is always the target of gender ideology. Um, and we've, we've had to be very very clear about that where <laughs> I don't even like to say the phrase biological gender because <laughs> as as you know Julian I'm sure the very concept of gender uh, as this amorphous identity that sort of floats around inside of a person that's kind of the brainchild of John Money that monster and Johns Hopkins who sort of conceived of this idea when he was experimenting on children most famously the Reimer twins and it was his idea that this you know nebulous you know identity of, of gender sort of developed in a person at some point in time. That's kind of where this all got started. Um, but the confusion has just been uh, metastasizing ever since. But gender and sex are not the only things that you know, become twisted and confused in this uh, in this gender uh, ideology space. Now, of course, we've got the pronouns, phrases like assigned sex at birth, you know, trans woman, trans man, all this, all of this nonsense. But the, con the confusion is, as I often like to say, and I think I say it in the book too, it's a feature, not a bug of this ideology. And if you're confused about what's being said, well, that's, it seems precisely the point, because while people, the masses try to get their heads around it, the ideologues have already moved the football, to use a sports analogy, down 
down the field. They've already moved the goalposts. And just when people kind of catch up and realize what all is going on, the terms keep shifting. I mean, good grief, what does non-binary and genderqueer and agender and pansexual even mean? They keep developing and everybody's constantly trying to figure all of this stuff out when really the most basic thing to know is that they're trying to undermine and indeed abolish sex in every way, even though it's impossible, but that's their central goal. You have very well surmised the situation. That word gender was brought in. And as you just stated, it, people are having gender reassignment surgeries, it's called now, because they had it and lobbied to have it taken from sex reassignment surgery. Right. That wasn't a coincidence. And this feature, as you point out, was very much about confusing the general public. So mm -hmm. people then don't know what to say except to actually cave in and to yeah. start giving in to these ridiculous pronouns, even though when you say sex assigned at birth, they don't say gender assigned at birth yet. That might be the next step, but they say sex assigned at birth. And I'm like, okay, so let's just pretend you're right. And the sex assigned at birth is wrong. Okay, I'm there with you. Then gender, you brought gender in, do you understand? You can't do that. You have to sort of keep to the same categories. And there's no, there's no trade-off between sex and gender. And they do that. They do that by confusing everyone, by saying, that's my gender identity, not my gender presentation, you right. see? Mm -hmm. No, I, it's the other thing that is so insidious, and this runs concurrently with the language twisting and manipulation, is that it, it plays upon sort of manners and decorum of, you know, we'll just be polite you just be kind. Like there's this sort of emotional manipulation that goes along with this. It doesn't hurt you to just honor someone's pronouns. It doesn't cause you any harm to do that. First of all, I've, I've never agreed with that because I don't believe in participating in perpetuating material falsehoods. It's never loving to lie, first and foremost. But it, it, it's part, it's all part of the other, you know, sort of larger manipulation. And I was actually watching Dr. Dina McMillan make this uh, point recently at a conference at which she spoke. Uh, she's a social psychologist, I think, educated at Stanford. She still might be based there, but she made the point that she was never going to go along with calling a man who has, you know, claims to be a woman, a trans woman, because she knew right from the get go that trans woman was never going to be enough for them. She saw the manipulation right off the bat. And as you know, to underline her point, she said, and she's now seen these men, quote unquote, trans women claiming to be, I kid you not, adult human females. <laughs> it's it's not, nothing's ever enough, Julian. Like this is this is all part of like you can capitulate to one, you know, lie or just or just go along with this here and there, but it will never be enough because it is a physio physiologically impossible goal to become the other sex. And so then to force the rest of the public to lend credence to this notion with their words, that only produces, you know, social chaos. And, you know, I'm, you talk about being a fuddy-duddy, it's just like, I, as a journalist, like, I couldn't, this was actually part of how I woke up to the issue, because previously, before I entered, you know, journalism back in 2016, I've been at this for seven years now, my grid for what were sort of once known as transsexuals was the few isolated, you know, 
kind of troubled people living on the margins of society who you would see in Mardi Gras down in New Orleans. I had no no grid for them. These very, you know, troubled people who would undergo these surgeries, which I never thought were particularly ethical at all. Uh, I, I just didn't realize how much it had become entrenched in our institutions. But when I saw the corruption of language, and I'm assigned to write stories on this at the Christian Post, and I, I see phrases like assigned sex at birth or referring to males as she and her, then I knew something was was really wrong because I was just so confused reading it. And I knew that as a journalist, I could not and would not participate in it too because I was not going to do my readers a disservice because I couldn't even keep track of it. And so if I couldn't, I certainly didn't think that my readers could. Uh, but that was actually the the way I started to see just how harmful this was. And then when you see how lies infuse something like medicine, where you're actually trying to treat male bodies as though they are female, well, just the harms multiply. And then I, I learned, I would later learn about puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and, uh, and body-altering surgeries to make people appear as though they are the opposite sex. But it all starts with the language. It's all, it all starts with lending credence to a lie that you can somehow alter reality with your words. Uh, reality is a stubborn thing and it is knowable. And so I, as a Christian, but me as just as a journalist who values the truth, I just cannot be and will not be a part of that. It's interesting that you mention the definition of the word woman because there was a long-standing lobby to have this definition changed. And finally, Cambridge University Press capitulated to this and changed in their dictionary the definition of the word woman to say an adult who lives and identifies as female, even though they may have been said to have had a different sex at birth. That's so crazy. I don't think they've done the same for man. I would just observe. I don't think they've changed the definition of man. They've changed the definition of woman, but not man. Unless unless you know, or did they? Did they? They did. They did. Inter- wow. A man okay. who was said to be female when they were born, the doctor. Oh, my gosh. Yes, I remember because I wrote them and I wrote their press office wow. about I asked them point blank. Were you lobbied to make this change? Did wow. you have? And they basically said that they reevaluate. At one point, I did get an answer, but it was very vague because mm-hmm. it avoided my question by saying they reevaluate their definitions. And I said, have you reevaluated the definition for table or for cup? Yeah, <laughs> it, it's, it's the most insane. It's, it's really so insane because I, I will sometimes hear trans activists or gender ideologues say, well, language, of course, slip and slides with time. There are words that, you know, have different connotations of meaning that such. But man and woman, it has never been that it means the exact opposite. Like that has never, we have never seen such seismic changes where words mean the exact opposite of their of their meaning. There may be cultural things that influence how people perceive the word, just like the word gay did not used to mean what it does now. Okay, I get that. But man has never meant woman and woman has never meant man. That's, that's, that's Julia Long's point and she's correct. And when we see the fact that these very elite institutions, not just the publishers of dictionaries, but all publishers are elite institutions, let's be clear, who had their hands on a printing press back in the day Mm. was the controller of an enormous amount of power. And if you read through history, from the invention of the printing press to the present, 
every single person or body attached to that machine has had enormous power and there's a reason mm -hmm. for it this yeah. is another way of changing reality because as kelly j king told me once on the phone and it was a lovely discussion where she said when you can control language you mm -hmm. we think through language she told me and the way that we think is through language such that if we are now forced to think through language in a different way, they are actually subtly trying to change our thoughts. And this really hit me when she said that, because I was like, yeah, she's right. I mean, she rewrote, in a sense, Orwell to the present day in that brief discussion, because a lot of people don't, even myself, and I work in this field, I don't, I didn't think of how how subtle and pernicious it all was from mm -hmm. the point of linguistic bullying. And yeah. of course, you have these EDI lectures and courses and disciplinary this and that, where people are now being told by their employers how to think. Now, this is where, again, women having rapists in their prisons and girls having their fellow boys on their teams, all nasty stuff. But what gets me more than anything else is the fact that we are being told that there's such a thing as not only gender identity, but that you have one, Brandon, I yeah. have one. I don't have a gender. I never had, no one has a gender. Well, I think for some uh, people have this idea that Christians are rigidly wedded to certain gender norms. And in some sp religious spaces, that's true. Um, but it is sort of in the other direction. And Jeff and I are very open that you know, we, we write in chapter five of Exposing the Gender Lie that we want men and women, boys and girls to be who, from our point of view, God made them to be. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to adhere to rigid gender norms. Um, we, we make the point in the book that, you know, in the United States, and this sort of dovetails with your earlier comment about you know, bright colors and everything, but in the United States, pink and blue are colors that have gendered meaning ascribed to them. Isn't it interesting that we don't do that with yellow and green or orange and red? I mean, it's just, why is it that we assign gender to color? I mean, it's really quite, you know, stupid if you think about it. I mean, that was a marketing thing from many years ago, but there are other things that uh, I think get that kind of same gendered meaning ascribed to them. I personally am a musician. I prefer the arts and music over sports. There are girls who are what you might call tomboys that kind of like that kind of thing more. And that's fine. For, for us as Christians, our motivation is to, one, defend the integrity of the human body because of what we believe the human body is and what it proclaims. Um, but I, I understand that some people might think it's hypocritical because of the way in which they have seen certain Christian groups and denominations and traditions enforce a certain kind of gender norm that is, I think, more rooted in cultural uh, you know, conditions and customs than it is in anything biblical. I mean, we, we look at biblical examples of femininity in the Old Testament. We see Jael pounding a tent peg through the wicked king's head. <laughs> Deborah was raised up as a prophetess. Huldah was a prophetess. And we, we see many women empowered throughout the New Testament as well. Um, and the, the Bible came about in a very patriarchal time, uh, not to say that I want to flatten the distinctions between the sexes either, because I think um, they are important and the human body is different. Difference is, 
is, is good. Male and female were made in God's image. They're, I mean, I certainly don't want to deny the reality of sex, but I, I do understand the criticism uh, that some people would think uh, in light of how some traditions have enshrined a certain kind of gender norm and sort of used scripture to defend it. Um, but for me personally, even as a conservative leaning Christian who is, you know, very much a small O orthodox believer in Jesus and would be on the more conservative side of things, um, I don't see those gender norms as so rigid, uh, if you will. Uh, and, and kind of my life is kind of an example of that. But I do understand the criticism and I appreciate it. Well, you talk in chapter four of your book about how trans ideology captured as you put it, our institutions. What institutions do you see captured in the US that is quite different than what you've seen from the UK in your readings, obviously? I think the main difference is clearly of the healthcare system. I mean, we, we are following with great interest the Tavistock clinic closure, but I think, and I've said this in other interviews that I've given, we're going to have to keep a very watchful eye because I know that the NHS is, has said that they're going to sort of move things out towards sort of regional centers. And so while the great big gender clinic that harmed so many young people, that has very, it's very symbolic to see that clinic, you know, be ordered to close. And so the symbolic power of that happening is is huge and can't be uh, under, understated. It can't be un underestimated how important that is to see something like that happen. But with here, we have 50 different states in the United States, different healthcare systems. A lot of it's money driven. And with money, there's ideological power and influence. Um, I think the other thing here that is very different from the UK is that our media is just so captured. I have often said that I think it's one of the most corrupt, if not the most corrupt industry on the planet with regard to this, especially because all of the other entities that have furthered this nonsense of gender ideology, the media has protected them with their lies. So the very people that are charged with holding corrupt actors to account are instead a protective phalanx around those who are committing, in the case of hospitals and medical facilities, what I believe are atrocious medical crimes, crimes against humanity, cutting off the physically healthy body parts of minor children and mentally distressed young adults. I mean, the hospitals that do these barbaric surgeries and administer these sterilizing drug cocktails to vulnerable people, the media calls it gender-affirming healthcare ad nauseum. The media will completely paper over the emerging medical scandal and they'll just pit, they'll make it seem like this is this right-wing versus left-wing fractious culture war. When Julian, I know I've heard from so many Democrats and liberals over the years who do not support this stuff. And the only place they can speak really is conservative media largely, or the alternative press, they'll, they'll talk to me at the Christian Post. So the media is just absolutely terrible. I think this is one of the worst chapters, if not the worst chapter in media history. And this is as much a media scandal as it is a medical one. But I think those two industries, both the press, the corporate press and the medical system are by far the most captured. The only thing other than that would probably be the education system where children are being indoctrinated to believe that their bodies are somehow wrong 
or that they somehow possess an amorphous gender identity, despite there being no brain imaging scan or blood test or genetic marker proving that they do indeed have one. You must be a riot at Christmas dinner. Oh, I'm a lot of fun, man. I'm a lot of fun. You know, but what happens, I see your family. Well, my, what happens is, I go, what happens, I'll go back to the, the Shindle Valley of Virginia, where I'm from, the countryside, and they'll look at me when I talk about this, that these issues I've been reporting on, and they'll look at me as though I have you know, seven or eight heads. That was several years mm -hmm, ago. Mm -hmm. Now they look at me as only I have two or three heads. So it's gotten better because it's finally the alternative press has been successful enough at making noise about it to the point there where we now have 20 states or so that have restricted, it's the conservative states that have restricted blockers, hormones, and surgeries for minors. And so this has now become a national discussion, but it's taken far too long, in my opinion. And pe people are realizing that this isn't just an isolated issue where it's just a few people being affected. Everywhere I go now, they know somebody in their family or their circle of friends or in their neighborhood or their schools where young girls are getting their breasts cut off as teenagers or they're going on these drugs. And so they know that they can't ignore yes. it anymore. The harms are becoming more and more visible. And that's sad because it's affecting a lot of people. But finally, people can't deny it. But you're, you're, you're not wrong that I'm a lot of fun at parties. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, it's just shocking to me because like you, when I was at my family's home about 10 years ago, talking about my first research on this, my aunt was in the kitchen making chapati and she was like, where do you know these people from? Yeah. Get away from them. You know, like they just thought like these were my mates or something. I was like, no, this is what I'm working on. And the thing is, is it's hit India as well. Yeah. Right. And in a different way than the West, because it's not the elite being touched by this. It's the Dalit class. It's the poor. I want to read to you something that I think we should just go there. I was going to open with it. I decided to wait a little bit. Sure. I'm going to quote from this document, permissible medical experiments, mm -hmm. the great weight of the evidence before us to affect that certain types of medical experiments on human beings, when kept within reasonably well-defined bounds, conform to the ethics of the medical profession generally. The protagonists of the practice of human experimentation justify their views on the basis that such experiments yield results for the good of society that are unprocurable by other methods or means of study. All agree, however, that certain basic principles must be observed in order to satisfy moral, ethical, and legal concepts. This document goes on to talk about the first point is the voluntary consent of the human subject is absolutely essential. Do you know what I'm reading from, Brandon? <laughs> I'm going to play quiz show with you. It's familiar, but I can't quite put my finger on it. It's from the Nuremberg Code. I thought it this, sounded familiar. Yeah. Yeah. This grew out of, of what occurred in Nazi Germany. Now, lately, I've been making a lot of references to Mengele because I think it's about time that all of us start making this comparison. And I know people are afraid to, because just like if you say Laverne Cox is a man, people will say racist. Now, if we say that this is similar to what was affected under Nazi Germany, people will say anti-Semite. Yeah. Uh, no, it's called a comparison and it's called yeah. an apt comparison. Yes. And you just mentioned this, but also on Twitter yesterday, I saw circulating Costa, one of the British like yeah. Starbucks chains was circulating a meme of, uh, I guess it was an advertising meme of a girl with her breasts cut off so they were glorifying a double mastectomy of perfectly healthy tissue and the activists got on that i was very happy to see people on it it's it's great now people are out there speaking back to this nonsense 
but it's devastating yeah. that the PR people up high in Costa are likely woke. They're likely, they have no kids. I'm just going to throw out a few bones here. They have no kids. They're idiots. Mm -hmm. And they make a salary doing this because no one's saying no to it. The minute someone says you're fired, that's going to be their last meme. The way that, especially in uniquely business and office spaces, have come to be this broker for correct thought. Now, it happens outside of gender ideology too, but this is where it was homebrewed, let's call it, because that was a way, and it's interesting because I've seen this in terms of employment law when I've worked on other subjects that somehow employers are given a carte blanche to do certain things within the office that if it were done in your house would be called domestic violence. How is it that this has been perpetuated across businesses, private and public, across the NGO sector, but basically where people work. What are your thoughts on that? It is remarkable to see just how far and extensive this has swept into sectors where it was previously not known for this kind of ideological capture. I think uh, there are there is an unmistakable push certainly through university life and academia to fill institutions of all kinds, be it the public and private sector with this set of values. And so it's a very jealous, <laughs> the gender ideology deity is a very jealous God. There's not a single square inch of culture that it won't seek to colonize and conquer. Uh, but I think with, 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 the, with the money and with the ideological power, and with a new generation sort of seeking to be virtuous, particularly with the decline of, in the case of you know the West, I would say Christianity, this has filled the void. Uh, I think people are searching for higher things. I think gender ideology in large part has filled a void, filled sort of the need for religion in a lot of people's minds as mm -hmm. you know the Christian mm -hmm. faith has, as, as the United States especially has become more secularized. Um, this sort of helps explain the the private sector adoption throughout the corporate world, uh, throughout you know places where you wouldn't have thought this kind of social change would would come. Uh, it, it took the the capture of the cultural institutions and concurrently the decline of faith for this to take mm -hmm. off. That was kind of that's my those are my thoughts on it. But there are many contributing factors, and I think um, that. With with the other thing is that I think with the decline of family, with family breakdown, that's huge. That's a huge piece because young people who are searching to know who they are and they don't have a stable connectedness with, with their parents or their extended family, they feel kind of dissociated. And so the community that they have found uh, online and in friend groups, this kind of fills that need as well. Um, I, I say that transgenderism is a medical scandal uh, a lot, but I think one of the most pernicious aspects of it being a medical scandal is that the medical scandal is marketed online, on TikTok, in social media, Tumblr, YouTube. It's marketed to young people in the nomenclature of identity. I don't think you've ever seen a medical scandal, you know, be it opioids or thalidomide or lobotomies, where participating in this medical scandal was inextricably tethered to who you are, <laughs> this sense of who you are. That's new. 
that's what's so pernicious and awful about it is that people think that by taking these drugs or by, by taking measures to alter their bodies irreparably that that they're somehow becoming their truest most authentic selves that's what's so horrible about it uh, so the breakdown of family the decline of religious faith uh, the capture of all of the institutions that is what has led to this current moment and yes corporations are playing a huge part of that it's unmistakably true i have had jews tell me jewish readers make comparison to Mengele. So you're not the only one. And I think it is a perfectly apt comparison. We are experimenting on the human body in pursuit of a lie. And just as Mengele tried to experiment with gangrene and change eye color and do things that were physically impossible, and, and that was just the least of his hideous experiments on Jews and other people, it is physically impossible to change the sex of a person. And so they are every bit as Mengelian, if you will, as is this this is atrocities are being carried out and i think we need nuremberg 2.0 tribunals convened to address this medical crime i really do oh i absolutely agree i think this should be happening and when people place the emphasis on children i tell people no i had a guest on recently in fact who was more permissive about it for adults than for children i said none of it should exist yeah. if we have that good scottish doctor who years ago was doing amputations for mm -hmm. his patients who claimed yeah. to have body disassociation well it was right. bdd he was told by his medical authority he could no longer do this because it was unethical excuse mm -hmm. me if yeah. i have to choose between lobbing off part of my arm or leg or my penis, guess what I think is more inappropriate. The fact that we are saying that genitals are the go-to space, but not parts of the limbs is I odd. I know. Who made that call? I know. It's, it, this is, that was the other thing that when I woke up to just the scope of this medical scandal, I learned about what puberty blockers were. And that was the, well, and how if you follow blockers with hormones, you render a person sterile. And so when did sterilizing people some, somehow become okay and legal? But then I also saw the the photo a photo of the carnage of a phalloplasty where they harvest tissue from a girl's for a young woman's forearm to make a penis and I was like okay when did that suddenly become okay and legal uh, then th that's when I knew it was somehow deeply entrenched and that we were up against something particularly bestial and horrible and this was just this was a nightmare well you're transphobic for pointing that out and that's an exception I'm not transphobic for in defending the integrity of the human body imagine that you know <laughs> no one wants to address nuremberg i've been making fun of a facebook group of these quote unquote leftist and quote unquote feminist leftists right. and i put it all in quotes because they're neither leftist nor feminist but they love to go off on the fact that in the u.s it was this and that state republican governors passing laws that made it impossible for boys to participate on girls teams so when i go to the that website because it's open to the public it's insane these women are criticizing the fact that it was a republican governor instead of saying good that yeah. got shut down it's yeah. called the actual gender critical left it's a yeah. joke of a group because every single thing they run on it half of the group is dedicated to trashing posey parker the rest of it is dedicated to trashing any right-wing person who did something to stop this ideology spreading yeah. and i just think you guys aren't worth the ground upon which you're standing because you claim to speak for women and girls you're not what you're saying is let those women and girls who are christians or who are right-wing or whose parents vote republican die 
And let me be the purest leftist. It's absolute BS. Not even Marx would be in agreement here. And uh, the other part of this fraud of leftist feminism that I have a real issue with is that there's nothing feminist to it. Just because the governor of Arkansas, let's say, might be against abortion does not mean that that same person cannot stop the mutilation of girls' bodies. Because, Brendan, you know that they are lobbing off girls' breasts far more than boys' penises. And there's a reason for it, right? Yeah. yeah. Because they can. And in a sense, this is where the feminists are right about sexism, is that, of course, they're using girls' bodies because no one cares about them. And this is sickening. So it's yeah. not just the right-wing Christians that don't care about these right. girls. It's you in, gender, in the really gender-critical left groups who think yourselves to be so pure that you think it's okay the Christians are thrown into the ditch. See, those people are just as much the problem as the very right-wing Christians they allegedly complain about, but it's the right-wing Christians who are doing more than they sitting at home behind their keyboards. No, I think that's absolutely true. Our, our friend Jennifer Billick likes to say that we're living in a dissociated world and social media has you know split us apart in ways that, as you say, they wouldn't, wouldn't allow people that people they would never say to their face, they, they have the freedom and they take the luxury of, of saying these awful things on social media. And I, I agree. I, I would say though, to your point about the Arkansas governor, the are both against abortion, but the one that was before was a Republican, but he actually signed abortion restrictions into law, but vetoed a ban, a Republican governor vetoed a ban on this transing of children, but there were enough Republicans in the state legislature, they actually overrode his veto. So, but he, there are plenty of lousy Republicans, I think, two who are who are rascals and so you're not going to hear me singing their praises unless they do the right thing and you know to their credit there are some democrats who in the state of louisiana joined the republicans and overrode their democratic governor's vetoes and so there's there's good people who are trying to help and protect people from this medical experiment on both sides of the aisle though it has absolutely been mostly Repub has been mostly republicans who've been pushing back the other thing that i think it's important to emphasize though julian is that in addition to this horrific medical experimentation that is, in my estimation, definitely a, a violation of the Nuremberg Code of Ethics, is that this is breaking down families. This is fracturing and splintering families left and right all across this country. I've lost count in my reporting how many times I've been called by desperate moms and dads pleading with me for help, Republicans, Democrats, Christians, Jews, atheists, non-religious non people, they their daughters get testosterone from Planned Parenthood within 30 minutes of a telehealth call. I mean, this is ripping families apart. And I think that we are what we are going to see in the next couple of years as this all unfolds is the scope of how this harmed so many families. And if people, if any of your listeners want to get a taste of of that anguish, of that family pain, I'd very much recommend that they go to www.deadnamedocumentary.com. It's an indie film about 50 minutes long. I'm in it. I'm an expert contributor, and it profiles three families that have been ripped apart. But I think that, in addition to the scrutiny of the medical issues, is the key to what's going to turn the tide, because people, when they get a taste of the relational rupture that transgenderism causes in families, that's a whole new ballgame, because... Um, it's these these families have been through pure hell when their children suddenly become convinced that they need to medicalize their bodies in pursuit of a lie it just completely upends a family it erodes family ties 
parents pitted against their children, children against their parents, relationships with aunts, uncles, cousins, friends, they're all splintered. This brings ruin and corruption every, everywhere it goes. Uh, this, this is why it is, as you say, people of goodwill, regardless of their politics, have to reach across the aisle and say, no, this must be stopped. You're listening to Savage Minds, and we hope you're enjoying the show. Please consider subscribing. We don't accept any money from corporate or commercial sponsors, and we depend upon listeners and readers just like you. Now, back to our show. There are families in the divorce process that are using this against each other, and it's phenomenal to see what's going on when a parent steps in and says no. And oftentimes the courts will side in the favor of this insane ideology yep. with the judges. And we've seen this across the planet from the UK to the US where judges who have no clue about what they are doing, that they are themselves Mengelian. I'm sorry yes. to say this, but yes. they are acting on behalf of Nazi Germany. Mm-hmm. They are, this is it. We have to start speaking very clearly about what's going on. These judges are enabling medical experimentation on women, on men, on, on boys and girls, and they are doing so thinking that they are progressive. This is the insane yeah. thing about it all. As I tell my listeners and readers, we have to stop thinking that Democrats are further to the left than Republicans right now with this subject. Because if you want to talk about who's progressive, hands down, it's the Republicans. There is no, there, there's no way you're going to convince any sentient human that what the Democrats are doing when all is cleared, when the Nuremberg trials over this have happened, and I do want there to be a truth and reconciliation about all of this madness, the Democrats and the left-leaning media, and, and I include the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Chicago Tribune, the LA Times, these papers that run the biggest BS articles about living my true self yeah. with no critical commentary, with no interview with any of the pediatricians who come from not the APA, but that other organization they say are Christian fundamentalists. No, those were the people who saved your children. Those are the people who, when all is said and done, and we're going to see suicides because of this, because some of these children who've been castrated and desensitized for their entire lives of any kind of sexual pleasure, who is going to answer to that? So right. yes, let's let's call the radical feminists. Let's call mm-hmm. you and me Hitlerians. But yeah. in the end of the day, it's one of those things that my father, there's a Sanskrit saying, he said, when you point your finger at other people, there are three fingers pointing back at you. And this is the fact of what we are living. We're living in this very perverse era where the people screaming, I'm a leftist, I'm the best, are actually neither leftists, they're certainly not the best, and they are not progressive. I never thought in all my years of living that I would see Republicans mostly coming out to speak on this issue, on the Senate floor, on in the House of state legislatures, and you name it, and the Democrats are there cowering. Brendan, this blows my mind. These are very bizarre times. Last week, I I, I do, I agree with you. I think there's a reckoning that is at hand. 
Uh, and the timing is still a bit of a mystery to me, but I can tell you that I've been on this beat for approximately seven years and just one year ago to today, it's night and day difference in terms of the climate and the level of awareness. There was a hearing in the US House and the Judiciary Committee last week that was so powerful where a detransitioner gave testimony. She went on blockers and hormones at I think 12 and 13, had her breasts cut off at 15. She, her name is Chloe Cole. She's been making the rounds throughout much of the media. She's gained quite a following. She's becoming what I think she's kind of like the American version of Kira Bell, whose courage in the UK led to the closure of the Tavistock. Uh, but people are becoming aware. The House Republicans are seem to be getting it. Um, and Democrats at the state level, a few in the southern states, they see the harms of it and they're agreeing with Republicans. But the Democratic Party is, I think, the political party, without a doubt, that has furthered this nonsense, this brutality more than any other. And they're, 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 there needs to be a reckoning over it. And included in that are the Craven Republicans. And there are some who have been who, who will act like they're all against it, but they'll take money from groups that are supported by gender clinics or they'll sneakily derail it in committee hearings. There have been, you know, rascally Republicans like that, too. So I don't want anybody, regardless of their you know, party politics, to get away with uh, with this kind of with this kind of madness there. There must be there absolutely must be a reckoning. What we are seeing now is a massive shift in opinion in the UK, and it's really refreshing to see. Now we will not be kicked off of Twitter for saying, no, he's a man. I have been on so many Twitter suspensions. And we are now also seeing an era in which we can begin to call out the larger ideological hoax behind this. There's still a problem though. This isn't widespread across the planet. There are places like Tasmania and much of Australia and Ireland where things are much worse, especially for lesbians in Tasmania. Where do we go from here? I mean, I really do think we need truth and reconciliation committees in a way that I think there should be for the Russiagate hoax, which never really happened because on my wall i have even some dear friends who still believe that that was a thing and mm -hmm. i'm still waiting for us to be told that the russia gate is part of this or maybe that's what they'll do at the end is blame it all on russia and these people who've been pushing this ideology will say they've been on our side all along you know they're going to pull that so i'm i'm just wondering your thoughts on this because you've written earlier this year you wrote a really great piece on munchausen syndrome by proxy now this is something that i remember years ago a lot of us were discussing as well because what i noticed amongst a lot of the parents who were parents of gender non-conforming children of trans children is there was a huge amount of kudos going directly to them it was never really about the kid it was about the parents yeah it it is that that is a much uh, th that article was a very complicated, <laughs> bizarre subject to tackle. But I cover a lot of ground there, explaining the psychiatric dimension of what are known as Munchausen's moms, or they what they call it in the psychiatric literature is uh, factitious disorders. I interview two prominent psychiatrists and I supply some history. In terms of what needs to happen, in, uh, I'm just going to get a little bit religious on you here and just say that I believe that there's going to have to be some sort of divine intervention. I believe that very much. But aside from that. And I don't mean to diminish that, but I also believe that lawsuits are going to have to start being filed. And I have been told that there are some that are currently brewing. There were some cases that were recently launched. I actually know personally some lawyers that started a firm in Texas 
uh, they left their practices to start a law firm to help detransitioners sue the surgeons and the doctors that harmed their bodies irreparably. And so if we get medical uh, malpractice lawsuits in motion where these horrible medical experiments become too financially cost prohibitive to, to do, that could probably help. Obviously, there's going to be some legal decisions that are being contested in the courts, and that may wind up at the Supreme Court where they talk about transing children. There are a couple of things that are going to work their way up through the judiciary, through that pipeline. Uh, but bar none, I think that there's going to just, there, there has to be some sort of, uh, you say truth and reconciliation, I say reckoning, whatever. But these crimes, these crimes against humanity, these atrocious medical crimes that have been perpetrated, yes, on children and on vulnerable young adults, there needs to be an accounting for that because it's absolutely horrific to see I see a lot of that carnage in my inbox. I see young girls with their breasts cut off. I, I've seen things that have haunted me and will haunt me for decades. I've heard from detransitioner men who were castrated and wound up ejaculating blood. I mean, these are horrific, horrific things that have been done all for the sake of profit and ideology. And I think when history is written, it will go to those of us who raised our voices and said, this is wrong. This must not happen. It has to stop. And the toxic roots of the ideology that that drove it also need to be uprooted uh this this is evil and it we need to resist it with every bit as much of you know enthusiastic vigor that we can possibly muster well the 2002 award in damages against philip morris of 28 billion dollars i'm thinking that was lung cancer primarily right. i'm thinking for castrating sterilizing mm. mutilating that the damages against these doctors these mm. medical insurance companies and right. i would argue the media should be brought in on the lawsuits because they were excuse my language here but they were the pimps yes. and the media has done this all along and they knew it i mean Brandon, you and I both got into journalism from outside of journalism. Yeah. When I started writing about this stuff, I was just like, what on earth? And I'm coming from a background of social sciences, humanities, and I've read and taught Butler, but even then I've, I've written Judith Butler. Mm -hmm. When I saw an interview with her, she did a, the trans advocate interview and I couldn't believe it was her. And I said, is this really you in the interview? And she wrote me back, yes, it is. Why do you ask? And I said, well, you are aware that Christian Williams, as he calls himself, um, is a massive harasser of women. And he's defamed me, but many others. He goes after women and uh, no answer. Wow. The thing is, it's Judith Butler in her gender trouble or bodies that matter. There was not, this is not nothing that she has said actually related to what is happening today. This is an outgrowth of the incoherent writing of hers that yeah. people sort of made up because you it's very difficult to teach her first book at all, even to graduate yeah. students. I'd have to give one chapter, max two, and tell graduate students, get through it as best you can and we'll discuss because her writing is incoherent in that first book, bodies that matter slightly more, but in neither book did she say, go out, mutilate your bodies, declare yourself the, none of this. This all came many years later as an outgrowth of really bad and sloppy academic writing jargon, misapplied concepts, incoherences. 
what do you think needs to happen on the academic scene? Because I'm a big free speech, free thinker, but at the same time, this came from an academic environment where people were allowed to have carte blanche to make up nonsense and teach it to students, grad, undergrad, what have you, and award degrees based on this. Yeah, it's a good question. I. I, I too am a big free speecher, First Amendment kind of guy, and academic freedom. You know, people should be able to explore complex, lofty ideas, even the esoteric ones. I'm, I've done graduate school. I know things do indeed get very uh, hard to comprehend sometimes. I would return to just if we can learn to love the truth again, make the goal of education to be the, about the pursuit of truth, and the truth being. Uh, it, it, from as a Christian, from a Christian standpoint, eternal truths, things that um, <laughs> have withstood the test of time, learning to love truth, that's got to be our North Star. Um, with respect to, I think, the human body, I think it would be very wise that we try to harmonize, you know, the human body, studying the human body as it is, recognizing that its physical structure conveys uh, some profound moral meaning that we are obligated to respect. Uh, harmonize that with natural law. I think that's a wise thing to do. Uh, but you know, I, at the same time, I wouldn't want to squelch dissenting opinion either. You know, I, free speech, you know, academic freedom that that should flourish. But I think when we start to deconstruct the human body in pursuit of you know, these theoretical aims that don't really have any sort of value for truth at the end of them, that's a really scary direction to go down. Uh, we could just, we should really be aware of that. Uh, I uh, I think academic, uh, academia has gotten to be pretty rotten these days, though, and I, I won't hide my feelings of disgust from how bad that has gotten, but a return to truth would do would do wonders, I will say that. In June, you wrote a piece called The AP's Institutionalized Betrayal of Journalism and the Truth. And I reached out to you on Twitter over that because I had written a piece in March about a similar subject in terms of the AP, the APN Australia, and IPSO, NUJ, and Ofcom in the UK that have three different mandates. The NUJ is the National Union of Journalists. IPSO is a body that's related to journalism, while Ofcom is about broadcast media. I took a look at the subject as well as you did with the Associated Press, and it's quite interesting to see what they have done to betray journalist ethics. At the same time, yeah. in all the cases I looked at, they cover their advice as either guidance or guidelines, and when I pushed their press offices, and I did, they all came back, well, we can't enforce this, but one exception, however, is Ofcom. And I go into my article, I don't know if you got a chance to read it, but I went into three of the decisions they made where there were penalties at risk. And in fact, the way in which those decisions that negatively sanctioned a station or a broadcaster was actually illegal. And I'm waiting for those specific shows or stations to go back and either sue them in the courts or to make a counter complaint, because how can you have guidelines? It's sort of like the sex gender thing where they just like mix it up. Um, yes. We're going to call these guidelines, but you're free to do what you want. So I'm told by Ipso. 
but that's not exactly true, but it is. You see what I'm saying? They play with this kind of flexibility of, but you have to keep in line with journalist ethics. Hold on a second. You're telling me that if I don't call a rapist, she, that I'm okay then? Well, the guidelines say, but no, I'm asking you, if I don't call a rapist, she, what will happen? And I kept pushing them. They didn't like that. Can you tell me about this piece you wrote in June? Yes. Well, the Associated Press has for years been captured, as I was saying earlier about the media capture, the institutional capture of the press, the corporate press. But And they, and they have had in their guidelines, their guidance, that we're supposed to use preferred pronouns for persons who identify themselves as trans or non-binary or whatever. Uh, but this latest version, the topical guidance that they issued, said that it went even farther than that and said that we are not even allowed to use the word transgenderism because using transgenderism frames a trans person's identity as an ideology. So not only, so even though for, for people who have functionally said, okay, fine, we won't talk about trans people at all. We'll just discuss the underlying lying ideas and the, the beliefs that go along with a lot of this. Oh, no, no, no. Even that's not okay to the Associated Press because they are so hell-bent on enforcing this notion that if a person says they are the opposite sex, we must in fact believe it. And to dispute that, even by talking about it as an ideology, is you are ipso facto a bad person. Uh, and they even go so far to say that the publications that, you know, criticize quote-unquote gender-affirming care at which you know sex change operations blockers hormones and surgeries the publications that criticize those medical practices use quote widely discredited research and organizations they cast doubt on those who dare to scrutinize this these medical practices so it is an overtly ideological guidance document uh and no they don't i mean at the christian post we do not abide by the ap's rules but for any mainstream publication uh, quote unquote mainstream, uh, that rules the day. The AP still has great sway over journalistic practice in the United States. They'll call it guidance, but really it's those rules will probably govern how most newsrooms operate unless people have the moral courage and clarity to to do otherwise. And we we won't participate. We won't kowtow to that Orwellian newspeak here at the Christian Post. And I know there are other publications who who won't either. But it is yet another example of just how much this ideology has infected and infested our institutions. And it's pernicious because the AP is the sort of governs how people think and write in, in the media space. What other publications do you know of that are not doing this? Well, I'm pretty sure that Redux magazine is not <laughs> uh, kowtowing to pronouns or any of that. If anybody is speaking about transgender ideology or they're using the word transgenderism, you can just pretty much take the fact that they're not paying any attention to the latest guidance from the topical guide from the AP, which says you shouldn't do it. Um, I would imagine that most conservative, uh, many conservative, some conservative media, I think Fox News even, you know, uses fake pronouns for people. I, I wouldn't even call them conservative in that respect. Tucker Carlson, when he was with them, seemed to understand this issue, but the rest of that network is they're actually solidifying the premise of some people being the opposite sex with their language, even if they technically scrutinize or criticize the ideology itself. So it's just kind of a, a mad, confusing mess. But I would, I, mean, I would imagine most alternative or conservative leaning publications that are daring to criticize all of this aren't going by the language rules set forth in the AP's guidelines. 
but if it's a mainstream network or a corporate network, ABC, NBC, MSNBC, CNN, they are very closely abiding by that, if not more so. I'm looking at the guidance right now of the yeah. AP. It's always a sign that you're being ideologically brainwashed when there has to be not only long explanations, but an appendix or right. a dictionary attached. Right. They say pregnant yeah. woman, pregnant people. Yeah. And they say pregnant woman or woman seeking abortions is acceptable phrasing. Phrasing like pregnant people or people seeking abortions is increasingly used in medical context and is also acceptable. So what they are doing, and I imagine in two years, we'll see this change to where they're going to say, please use pregnant people. They're trying to blue pill or red pill, I should say, the the journalistic population into parroting an ideology. And they actually have to define puberty. <laughs> male or female puberty or puberty typical of males or females is acceptable in reference to transgender people. What on earth? Yeah. And then they even have trans-exclusionary radical feminist, a term along with its acronym TERF, used by some to describe some cisgender women or others who object to the inclusion of transgender women and women's space. What on earth? Yeah. The AP should be taken to court. Yeah. They should. What is their authority? This is something I've been curious about. It's madness. It's complete and utter madness. And I just, I wonder what funding are they receiving? Are they, are they getting money to do this? Or are they just so sympathetic to the goals of gender ideologues that they're working for free? I don't know. I haven't dug into the, the AP. Uh, we'll have to get our friend Jennifer, but she, she was sending me something about, you know, the kinds of how it's structured and how the influence could be coming. I don't know enough to say authoritatively here just how that that funding stream might be working there. But we always got to follow the money. But, you know, there are this, the ideological power of this movement is ferocious. And it is it is absolute madness that the AP is literally telling journalists, a journalism organization is advocating for censorship of ideas. That's what this guidance is. And just think about that for a moment. Journalists advocating for censorship. I mean, the AP used to, the guidelines for AP was about grammar and syntax, which could be legitimately helpful advice in case journalists are, you know, wanting to know how to more communicate more clearly. That's genuinely helpful. This is not. This is the opposite of what journalism should be, which ask any question you want, talk about anything you want, vet these ideas, scrutinize these ideas, be willing to challenge you know, sacred, you know, sacred cows, like that's what journalism should be all about. Uh, it's a disgrace to see them capitulate like this or you know, be bought or wh whatever's happening. This is a tremendous disservice to good journalism. Well, it's funny because their guidance is also screwed up. For instance, they have the word transsexual, which you and I both know you're not supposed to say, right, according to this new movement, yeah. but they've included it. Some people who have undergone gender affirming procedures refer to themselves as transsexual, use the term only if a person requests it and explain that the person uses the term. What? I mean, you're like, yeah. this is insane. And you get less guidance. And I made a point of this in the piece that I wrote, but you get less guidance. And journalists need to actually refer to the royal family press guidance when writing about the royal family. But it's actually easier to follow all the intricacies of the royal family than it is to follow what is happening here. It's insane yeah. to think that I wrote, why is the AP codifying guidelines that resemble the website which lays out the guidelines on how to greet members of the royal family? Quite complex, by the way. 
And they and them, like any other made up word, will invariably confuse readers as much as the use of they to refer to one person. And I noticed recently, I read a piece where they was thrown in and I stopped reading the piece because I could no longer follow what the antecedent of they was. And anyone who reads and who writes know this. You know that when you write, if your grammar does not make sense, you will lose your reader. People will say, ciao. Why the AP is investing in censorship is something that journalists and publications should be pushing back against. Now, what happens in the States if someone misgenders, you know, that, that I'm using their term, but what if someone, what if someone correctly uses a pronoun for a man in a dress? What has happened? Have you heard of any journalists losing their job over this? Uh, I have not, but it wouldn't surprise me if they get fired. That, that would very, very likely happen. And it is, it's just assumed that you will abide, if you sign your contract to abide by all of the rules of decorum, and that's probably very much shaped by the AP uh, for journalistic guidelines, if you refuse to, or editors will, will make sure that even if you want to be a, uh, a, a good reporter and not participate in it, the editors will change it, uh, but that's very likely to happen. Uh, no, it is... <laughs> I, I said it, it it's the, the media is the most culpable culprit in this space because they have been the ideological protection around those who are furthering this most vigorously, especially in the medical arena. The media exists as a phalanx around all of the places where gender ideology is enshrined and its harms are unleashed uh, because they have shaped the public consciousness in keeping with a predetermined narrative that this is an extension of the civil rights movement, or that this is about you know being kind to people, or that this is about you know protecting a marginalized group, or that this is just kindness or something, they are the ones that enforce that social dogma. So uh, <laughs> it's the newsrooms are not friendly places for journalists who want to call BS on this rampant sex denialism, and those who want to insist on using the uh, lang English language appropriately and maintaining the integrity of language, the last place people should look for employment is, is in a mainstream newsroom. It's actually shocking to me when I used to get pieces back from editors and they would change the pronouns yeah. and I would tell them, no, my bottom line is you don't change the pronouns. Yeah. And I had to do this even with a right-wing paper. I believe it. I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. They were trying to seem all nice. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And this is a real problem because the, there are vital questions that people in our profession have to ask. And I keep telling people, we cannot just say it's the Tavistock and those doctors, those nurses, those therapists, it's media. I always make fun of the Fox and Owl edition of The Independent, but The Independent used to be a decent paper. Mm -hmm. And now it's trash. They've trashed their own reputation. The Guardian's trashed its own reputation. And Kath Viner, I don't care why she did what she did. There is a, an ethical and moral line that these people have crossed when they allow writers like Owen Jones to run roughshod. I'm not just talking about what they did to Suzanne Moore, that too. But the fact that they are allowed to run roughshod over the truth, in no newsroom would it be acceptable that I cover a strike, let's just say I'm covering a teacher strike, and I go to the head of the school, and I find out why these strikers are bad, and my final copy is, oh, the strikers shouldn't be striking, and I don't go to the union, I don't go to the teachers on the picket line, that would never be allowed, but that is what has been allowed to happen here.
We've been getting half the story and the BBC was in on this. You were able to get at in your story of February, the NIH experiment ends with two suicides by trans-identifying youth. Can you tell our readers about this? Because this is something that people really need to understand, that lives are at risk. It's not the lie that we're being told that these gender-affirming procedures save lives. No, that's BS. Yes. Now, I've been banging on about the NIH for a long time, uh, Julian, and it is atrocious that the, this, this should be the, the purview of, of major media. They should be absolutely all over this medical scandal. A medical scandal is eminently newsworthy because it affects so many people. It doesn't care about your politics. It's, it's a medical scandal, and this is just objectively harmful. But... And, and I would also agree that if there's going to be some Nuremberg trials, the media needs uh, a Nuremberg of its own because of how dastardly they have conducted themselves and the the death, uh, just the, the dearth of truthfulness in their operations needs to be vetted for all to see because that's how systematically they were able to just deceive and hoodwink the public into believing something that's just false. And with respect, this this was just so clear to me during the pandemic but and why people were so hesitant to believe public health authorities in the media. But if people can lie to you about biology, male and female, certainly they can lie about epidemiology and infectious diseases and immunology and these loftier complex subjects. So they've undercut the basics of our knowledge here if they're going to act like knowing the sex of a person is this complicated ordeal. But uh, no, you say David and Goliath, the Christian Post is, would definitely be David in that equation and not Goliath, but uh, particularly. Uh, large Goliath is also the NIH, and I've been on their case for years. Um, I, an endocrinologist by the name of Michael Laidlaw has been doing FOIA requests, Freedom of Information Act requests, and he and I uh, connected several years ago, and he gave a presentation here where he exposed that the NIH had given uh, a number of, uh, actually, they've given a number of gender clinics millions of dollars in grants, $5.7 million starting in 2015. Uh, one of the most famous doctors in uh, medicalization space, Dr. Joanna Olson Kennedy out of Children's Hospital Los Angeles, changed the protocol midway through the research study. And the documents that he unearthed, Dr. Laidlaw unearthed by a FOIA request, showed that they had lowered, she had lowered the minimum age for the cross-sex hormone cohort inclusion criteria from 13 years old to eight years old, not just blockers. Keep that in mind. This was cross-sex hormone uh, cohort inclusion criteria, 13 to eight. That was that was exposed. He has since uncovered more documents showing that the same set, this sort of who's who of you know gender doctors, these pediatric gender clinics are receiving more funding from the NIH, uh, and funding through 2026 of 10.6 million dollars approximately. But in a recent New England Journal of Medicine article, this cast of characters from the gender clinics published a study in which they surveyed, they were measuring 315 young people ages 12 to 20 that identified as either trans or non-binary. And as they were experimenting on these young people, uh, they labeled as adverse events to suicides. Two suicides. Now there were there have been some Republican senators sent um, a very detailed letter asking some very tough questions of the NIH. Um, but I felt it was important to document for the record that the NIH is facilitating this mass medical experiment on children. And they're even, even though two children have wound up dead by suicide, 
they don't seem to be putting a halt on that research funding. And I know that endocrinologist who got that FOIA done has said that he knows previously how studies where, you know, HRT and women studies have been stopped at the federal grant level for a lot less than children dying. I mean, so, but here we have in this transgender medical space, young people can wind up dead and the funding continues. The federal spigot just continues. Um, so I'm going to continue to ask questions of the NIH why they have funded this research as such that children are having uh, are, are winding up in early graves and the, the gender doctors can just spin the narrative that this is still somehow beneficial because that was what that New England Journal of Medicine article said that, you know, despite these two young people dying, that these 315 people that they were studying somehow benefited from hormones, that this was positive psychosocial outcomes or some such nonsense. But yes, the, the, the federal government, the NIH is complicit in these medical atrocities. There's no question about it. But here we are living in self-proclamation era. And isn't it interesting that it only affects certain people, certain sexes, and the fact that they've honed in on children means that they know exactly whom they are exploiting. Yeah, that's. I think that is the worst part of all of this, Julian. I really do. And uh, I, I don't, like you, I don't think this is good for any person, adult or child, but I am most uh, most bothered I think the most egregious harm is done to children because at the very least, they definitely can't give consent. I don't support sex change procedures on any adult because I don't believe it's ethical medicine, but it's especially horrific when you're doing it to a child's developing body. I mean, children believe that they are birds and Superman. They're gonna jump off the chairs and believe they can fly. You're gonna tell them that their body might be wrong and that they can somehow become the opposite sex and make them think that they need it because they wanna please their psychiatrically disturbed parents or they're a victim of a social contagion no 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 a thousand times no it's absolutely horrific unmitigated child abuse and it is one reason why the christian post is so unequivocal about it we just will not be quiet we will not be silent as this scourge devours young people
Thank you.